Texas talking oh. What was that that you said? Texas talking oh. Gonna hoop upside your head Texas talking Tell me who can you trust When Texas guys Hey, it's Kai Rizdahl, the host of Marketplace, public radio's program on business and the economy. I'm not sure why Evan asked me to do the introduction to a podcast on the state of Texas and its policy and politics. But anyway, I did. Here's your host, Emily Ramshaw. Thank you. This is Emily Ramshaw here with the Tribcast for the final week of September. I'm joined by CEO and editor-in-chief Evan Smith. I like that, Kai Rizdahl. It's true. What do you call him? The George Clooney of uh, public, public radio? radio? Yep. Or something. I don't know. Or something. He's a nice guy. I hadn't uh, met him before. All right. Executive editor Ross Ramsey. Howdy. She and doesn't care at all. I do care. I'm just waiting for you to get me that Andy Roddick intro that you keep promising. Oh, dream on. <laughs> uh, all right. Did I already introduce you, Ross? You did. I'm still here. <laughs> <laughs> and reporter Patrick Sweetek. The Andy Roddick of the Texas Tribune. <laughs> it's true. How's your forehand? Sorry. He has a fast serve, and occasionally Brooklyn. when he does not get the news that he deserves first, he throws his racket. <laughs> I haven't seen him throw his racket yet. No. Laptop, wait, maybe. Wait. But, yep. All right. Well, uh, Evan really can't wait this morning to talk about Ted Cruz's latest round of endorsements. No, this is his Fitech. This is Fitech joint. <laughs> I, I'm just here as backup. Evan had some opinions on it. I, I had no yeah. opinions about anything. <laughs> Stop to be it. clear, while I was snoozing between the hours of 12:30 and one in the morning, uh, Patrick was writing his 15th story of the day, and Evan, who's up, you know, all hours of the day, panicking about something. I had been dad rocking <laughs> out for several hours before, and I was keyed up. Right or something. <laughs> Uh, anyway, Patrick, why don't you tell us about the latest round of cruise endorsements at home here in Texas and, and what they mean for this race? Sure. So today the, the cruise campaign released a, a list of uh, 41 endorsements from Texas state lawmakers. I believe the breakdown is uh, 36 state reps and five state senators. We already knew, particularly among the state senators who was backing him, um, you know, I think maybe they had the lawmakers had announced on their own, maybe 10 of them had already announced on their own that they were uh, endorsing him. Um, and so we got that that list today. Um, you know, one of the things I think the Cruz campaign is, is proud of um, is that uh, the list amounts to, I think, over a little over a third of all Republicans in the Texas legislature, which, you know, I think they believe is, is an accomplishment at this point in the race with still so much competition for Texas and it's still being, you know, more than five months until the, the March 1st primary. So I wonder how many are, uh, are officially behind uh, Bush by comparison or even quietly behind Bush well, by comparison. Well, the speaker. We know the speaker. I mean, there have been some other, um, you know, high profile names. But, you know, does he is he going to release the same sort of list that says, here's my support in, in Texas? Is he going to lay gonna claim? The same, yeah. The and same is he going to lay claim to Texas the same sure. way no, he'll, Cruz is trying to? I, I bet the first fight there is between over Florida's legislature with him and Rubio. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 I right. mean, yeah. Bush Bush has already, you know, kind of assembled what we would expect him to assemble in Texas, which is kind of a Texas fundraising leadership team, which has been printed on fundraising invitations for Jeb Bush events in the state. And on that fundraising team are, you know, uh, people like Joe Strauss, uh, Kay Bailey Hutchison. Um, so that's where I think you're going to see the, the support be organized for him at this point. Mm-hmm. So um, Bush also uh, jumping around a little bit, but Bush announced recently that, or three former, you know, Rick Perry people announced that they were moving to to Team Bush. Those folks are Eric Burse, Ray Sullivan, and Austin Barber. 
Right. Yeah, Eric Burst, I think is, he just declared his support for the Bush campaign. I don't think he has joined, um, but he is also he's, he's a supporter of, of and yeah. he was he's been a longtime speechwriter for speech Perry. Speechwriter was an aide to Perry going back at least as far as he was lieutenant governor. Right. right? May have written, may have written his last Perry speech a couple yeah. weeks he ago. He wrote he was the ghostwriter of Perry's first book. Mm-hmm. Was that the Boy Scout book? Yeah. Right. So Burst, Ray Sullivan, who is a longtime, you know, advisor, right-hand man to, to Perry. Right. Has he, he has, is he officially joined or just lending his support to? Sullivan. Ray Sullivan? Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah, he has officially joined the I think the he's campaign. advising mm-hmm. the campaign. Yeah, he's, I think he, it's not clear exactly what he's going to be helping out on, but he's considered an advisor at Te- this point. Texas is a, a, a toss-up. Well, they're, you know, both of these things are, it's both a of them are trying to show, you know, what Cruz is trying to do and what, you know, Bush is doing to some extent with these names like that is saying, you know, the people who were for Perry are now going here or here. Right, all 0.5%. Right. Well, it doesn't matter. I mean, just, you know, the, the Perry guys are coming to No, X, I, look, I right? think it's, I think it's great for Bush and, you know, Ray is a brand within a certain circle, Burst is a brand, Austin Barber is going to be a big help. I want to come back to the Cruz stuff. So you look at the list. You know, it's not a lot of range on that list. It's everybody from A to Zedler. Um, you know, it's it's really it's it's. What did you say in the story this morning? It's uh, 15 of the 19 people who opposed Joe Strauss for speaker. Yeah, I think it was 14 actually. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, 14. Yeah. The insurgency. The, the, the cut. Right. The cut of meat that we're talking about here <laughs> is a particular cut of meat. It's consistent. Across the, I don't know what he's talking about. Do you there, know what he's there, talking yeah. about? There's not, there's not a lot of surprise. The rarest. There's yeah. not yeah. a lot of surprise on this list. Forty-one people, more than the third of the Republicans, legislature peace, but it's not a huge surprise, as you say, uh, Patrick. Three or four of the five senators who were announced as endorsees of Cruz today had already endorsed Cruz. Well, I guess the question on these things is where, always. And, and Michael, mm-hmm. but, and part of, where is everybody else? That's the other question I have. Cruz is the home state senator. He's the only Texan in the race. It's not like it's Cruz and Perry and, oh, my God, we can't divide our loyalty. Mm-hmm. To... Everybody else is waiting to see how it shakes out. But, but, but where are the – I want to know where there are other elected officials supporting Cruz. That, that to my mind, is kind of – I'm like, well, where is yeah. – there's 20 Republican senators. Sure. Only sure. five have endorsed surprise. Cruz. Who's surprising on sure, this sure. list? Yeah, I mean, this no, is definitely – nobody. There's not a surprise. Is, right. it's, it's fair to consider this the first wave and as – is the case with most first waves of anything. This is kind of the low-hanging fruit for them. Right. I think if they set out to, that's you know, I think that's a fair characterization. The first round of their legislative. That's fair. You know, who's you know, I have to believe Dan Patrick is going to endorse at some point. I know at one point he said he would not endorse, but then he went back on that. Why right? would he endorse? Well, why wouldn't he endorse? Dan Patrick is nominally the the king of the grassroots here. I think he's probably the leading person in the party right Does now. it want to bestow his grace on somebody? I think he'll endorse. You know, I, I'm, I'm interested to know, I wish I could get inside the heads of the other 15. We talked this morning, Patrick, and remembered, you recalled, the other reminded me, who? senators and the uh, uh, Republican senators. Uh, Don Huffines is supporting Rand Paul. So right. when the Rand yeah. Paul campaign ends, maybe Don Huffines moves over and does a cruise. But there are a bunch of very conservative people in the Texas Senate who are not on that list. And I just wonder, were they not asked? Are they not ready to endorse? Are they not particularly enamored of Chris? I'm just, I'm just wondering. I, well, and have any of these legislators come out in publicly in support of Fiorina? I mean, we she was the first, frankly. She's, uh, Patricia Harless. Harless. Yeah. Patty yeah. Harless did. Patty Harless, Susan, Susan Combs, yeah. and, uh, and Beth Van Dyne, the mayor of Irving, right. I mean, all this week Susan Combs and, and Beth Van Dyne are not in the legislature. But, but well, Fiorina was the first. 
Yes, that's, that is a true well, fact. It, I can't it, argue with well, you. Well, the right. question I asked, if you right. had been listening to me instead of just talking, was... We were, we were mansplaining. <laughs> You're right. I'm used to that around here. Uh, so Fiorina was actually the first candidate to establish or announce formally a, a leadership structure in Texas, right? Yeah. Like I said, you know, Jeb Bush has already had this kind of... Uh, I wouldn't say it's public, but like a, a Texas fundraising leadership team that has helped him, you know, basically a host committee when he comes to Texas all the time to raise money. But the, the Fiorina campaign, at least by my account, um, is the first campaign to publicly put out a what's you know known as a statewide leadership team in Texas. Um, and I should note it was the the pro Fiorina Super PAC that organized this, as some of us may know. The Super PAC for the Fiorina people is handling doing a lot of the heavy lifting for the campaign. As as it is, I guess for most of these guys. Sure. But I mean, yeah. does she does she have any? Can she make any real headway here? I, I don't know. I mean, right now it's hard to tell whether it's you know a genuine organization and, and deep support here, or whether this is just one of one more, um, you know, I don't want to call it consequence, but one more effect of you know kind of the boomlet she's experiencing right now. So we'll see how durable it is as we get closer to. Uh, and it takes curtains falling on uh, her to make yeah. news. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I was waiting for someone to make the curtains. Ross's favorite curtains, curtains for Carly. We Car- missed a headline. Curtains for yeah. Carly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, why don't you actually tell us what happened? Uh, sure. What we're referencing here? Patrick Boom. <laughs> this was Patrick's five minutes of uh, yeah. yeah international uh, video fame. Exactly. Um, on Sunday, Carly Fiorina addressed a conference of, of women business owners in San Antonio, and about uh, 10 minutes into her prepared remarks, a structure behind her on stage <laughs> that was, uh, I guess, a, made up of drapes and curtains and poles um, started wobbling, and about 10 seconds later, it, it collapsed on her and a few other people on stage. In, like, super dramatic fashion. <laughs> I mean, it was like timber. <laughs> yeah, like I said, I mean, people just kind of felt there was a sense of helplessness as we watched this, uh, this structure just kind of wobble for about 10 seconds. So Patrick quickly whipped out his camera instead of running to help. Exactly, right. exactly. Humanitarian. <laughs> that's what journal- He's that's a what documentarian. He's, yeah. you know. exactly. That's what journalists are supposed to do in those moments, right? Don't move, just document. <laughs> right. yeah. So I don't think anybody was hurt. Carly Fiorina definitely was not hurt, according to her campaign. Yeah, she was just standing um, up there, like, watching the she, whole thing She tried to around. move on very quickly afterward. He got back on stage, continued to prepare remarks, moved on to take questions. There was some joking in the crowd about Donald Trump being responsible for it. You know, she said it could have been Trump. It could have been Hillary Clinton. Those curtains were huge. Yeah. Huge. <laughs> huge curtains. <laughs> yeah. Um, but... It was not the scene was not nearly as dramatic as maybe the visual suggested. Um, again, because she moved on pretty quickly, and which is unfortunate because those visuals were really <laughs> terrific. Um, so well, heading back to to Cruz for a moment, you know, we had him in um, in Washington this week issuing a, a scathing speech on the Senate floor, in which he actually specifically called out John Cornyn along with senior Republican sed- senators um, for voting down a, a previous amendment he'd had targeting Planned Parenthood funding. Let's wade into this a little bit. I mean, are are we really in the sort of pre-shutdown era here? How realistic is this threat, or is Cruz just using this as an opportunity to have a stage that nobody else has? And most importantly, is the Texas Tribune Festival at risk? I think the answer is no. <laughs> I told you yeah. Evan was losing sleep. I think at we're night. safe until December. Yeah, yeah, no. I mean, it's, it seems like there's not going to be a government shutdown. I think that's pretty confident. Uh, it's a pretty something I can say confidently at this point here on, on Wednesday morning. You know, there's the show in Washington and there's the show of Washington. In Washington, everybody doesn't like Cruz. You know, they're shutting him out. They didn't let him talk longer than he, you know, they shut him down at some point with a procedural thing. Outside of this, he's still running against Washington and he's doing it pretty successfully. He's the guy who's, you know, somehow managing, like Perry did in his last gubernatorial race, to be of the government and against the government all at the same time. You know, Cruz is the ant- or trying to be the anti-Washington guy who's also there and 
every time they shut him down, it plays as well as if they hadn't. Yeah. Right. I don't think on this Planned Parenthood fight he got the level of drama that he maybe was hoping to get. Like I said, I mean, it's pretty much over now as mm-hmm. we sit here on, on Wednesday morning, and I think government's going to be funded. There's not going to be some major showdown. There was a lot of hype, you know, media is partly responsible for it. You know, this is going to be Cruz's uh, big moment, you know, to harness his congressional battles and also his, his campaign pitch. Well, he sort of gets everybody to call around and say, hey, 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 watch this, watch yeah, this. And then exactly. he goes up on the fence and falls off. Yeah. And so, um, you know, there'll be more fights for him to, to wage, you know, this this fall in Congress over the Iran deal, um, potentially over trade agreements. Uh, but it's, so far, this one seems to be a little anticlimactic. Uh, for me, what's most interesting about this whole showdown is that it's sort of the most public display of, of animosity between him and John Cornyn. And and it's played out at home in Texas. Interestingly, we have these two rival anti-abortion groups, Texas Right to Life uh, and the Texas Alliance for Life. And they've even sort of had to had to pick sides with Cornyn and Cruz, right? Yeah, I mean, it's, I don't think it's a surprise that Texas Alliance for Life and Texas Right to Life uh, occasionally split on legislative tactics. And you, you see that play out in how they've addressed Cruz's strategy for defunding Planned Parenthood. Alliance for Life has said, we are not asking for a government shutdown. They've been very explicit about that. Right to Life yesterday issued a statement that basically kept that option on the table, said we should not be ruling out any approach to achieving this goal. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, one of the interesting things is that Cornyn's office has been pretty vocal in promoting the Alliance for Life position, um, you know, and, and I think more just more broadly, Cornyn's off. Cornyn and his office have been more vocal in general about just pushing back on some of the, the Cruz rhetoric, some of the Cruz strategy. Is Cruz at any risk here? Let's assume he doesn't win the presidency or doesn't win the nomination. So he's back in the Senate. Mm-hmm. He's up for re-election in 2018. He's still walk, walking among these guys. Uh, Rand Paul came out and said yesterday, I think, that Cruz is basically over as yeah. a senator, right? He did say that. That may just be campaign smash talk, but there it is. But one wonders to the degree to which Cruz is putting all of his chips on the, you know, calling John Boehner a liar, calling out Mitch McConnell, calling out his colleagues as somehow weak need or whatever else. He's putting his chips on that square. What happens if campaign ends, he's not president? Is it kiss and make up time? What, what is, is he put on a committee that meets in Anchorage twice a, yeah. a year? What happens? I think that's a big question. I mean, he's obviously going to stay in, you know, he's going to stay in the Senate after his his, pre, his presidential campaign ends if it ends. And um, you know, and when he's up for re-election, and the only the only way he could be vulnerable is if some somebody comes along in a primary and is able to make the case to the very ideological Texas Republican primary electorate that Cruz was not able to, you know, bring home the bacon or, or get enough done in Washington. Right. But he's it's sort of beloved. Dewhurst 2018. Yeah, this exactly. time it's personal. No, it's yeah. going to depend yeah. on how many people in the Senate or the House he can pull along at any given time. You know, when he, if, he, if he loses the presidential thing, he obviously loses that podium and that forum. But, you know, if he's one guy speaking in a room, then he's marginalized. If he's one guy speaking in a room and there's, you know, 15 people behind him who also have votes... Yeah. If he's commanding some faction in the in the Congress, then you know he'll still have a place to talk. I think it depends on if he loses the uh, Republican nomination, who the nominee ends up being. I think you know if he if he's going to lose, he wants that nominee be, nominee to be someone like Jeb Bush, right? Someone um, who doesn't you know yeah, carry the same sort of far so right. They, so that when that cred. person loses, he can be like, saying yeah. that person yeah. will yeah. lose. But right. his theory yeah. is, if that person should lose, yeah, I mean he it's, can it's say told you. Been, you, know, told it's, you so. it's been reported. Right. You know, I think it was a Bloomberg piece a while back. Campaign officials were saying, you know, if if he loses. You know, someone like Jeb Bush would affirm what he's been saying all along about the Republican Party nominating people who don't energize the grassroots and whatnot. And if, you know, Jeb Bush goes on to lose to Hillary Clinton, 
Ted Cruz would be there to pick up the pieces for the next election cycle. Right. Um, so. Yeah. Um, so we have some new headlines out today from the latest Lyceum poll that I know that uh, Ross is just waiting. Actually, none of us wanted to talk about the Lyceum poll. It was your idea. Wait. <laughs> nice one. Wow. Way to set Good it up. trick. The Ted Cruz of the Texas Tribune, Evan Smith. <laughs> oh, that's a great one. Let's just hang on to that. <laughs> I don't think he'd like that. Uh, somebody won't like I'm it. Just I'm just guessing. <laughs> yeah. like Which every, side? Every time you open your mouth around here, somebody doesn't like it. <laughs> yeah. Are you saying me? Uh, anybody opens their mouth around? Boy, touchy. Anytime you are Evan so opens his mouth any, around or, here, or me, apparently. so fired. Yeah. Wow. Right. Oh okay. God. Before I leave, can though, he do that to you? He can. Um, no, I can't. So the Texas Lyceum poll, <laughs> I just, just the, work here. The top line stuff. They're not putting out their uh, horse race numbers until. Um, Thursday. Where are we? Thursday. This is taping on Wednesday. So they let go of some of their policy stuff. Immigration remains issue number one among Texans. 49% of Texans support same-sex marriages. 46% support legalization of marijuana. 50% are against that. 57% would favor decriminalization, the Rick Perry position. Uh, 67% said that they are in favor of regulations on businesses um, that would uh, help with global warming. 40% of Americans would keep their kids out of football, but 72% of Texans would encourage their kids to Wait, play. Let's bonk those Texas kids in the head. Go back to those numbers again, because those were the numbers I really wanted to talk oh, about. Yeah, so she, there was an NBC the, the w concussion Walker. caucus. I want to know about this. Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. Uh, so we can get this through the fog in your head. Um, right. 72% yeah. said they wouldn't keep their kids off the football field, or they would no, support. No, would encourage them encourage to go onto the football, football. field. You know, get out there, right. uh, strap on your helmet, and get going. Uh, there's a recent... Um, Boy, you NBC, parents are really, really smart. You parents? <laughs> Excuse me, preggers. You're going to be with us there in about one second. Yeah, and my kid's not playing tackle football. I, mine either. Mine didn't either. No. And well, well, we are not among the 72%, so, apparently. Well, oh, yeah. Um, Anyway, so Texas. I have like trouble football. imagining Jenna Ramsey playing tackle football, she but played, that. She played pretty tough soccer, i got to say. <laughs> um, the Let's see, 45% of blacks, 24% of Hispanics, and 4% of whites said they felt they had been discriminated against by police. Um, let's see, what else do we have in this here poll? Uh, climate change, are you worried about it? 71% of Democrats said, yeah. 51% of independents, only 25% of Republicans. Not worried about it at all. 53% of Republicans, 28% of independents, 12% of Democrats. Did they ask a do you believe in it question? No, it they said, more like they said how, are you how are you concerned? How concerned are you about it? Very sort of. I not assume if people are concerned about it, they believe in it. But the, the interesting thing about the Republican <laughs> response to this right. is well, maybe <laughs> it was what it's fifty three percent of Republicans say they're not worried at all about climate change and global warming. Right. So that means another fifty percent, if another forty seven percent are at least sort of worried about climate change. Well, or are so the fifty three percent were like not at all. So the forty seven percent is arrayed across a little bit. Um, a to, little bit more and a lot. Right. Right. And so, but that means half of Republicans are at least a little bit worried about climate change. Right? Yes. Uh, I think that's stretching it, but you know, there were there were like there were like five positions, right? right. From very to not at all. Fifty three percent. I'm sleeping just fine at night. At yeah. All right. And um, yeah, what this shows is a is a partisan split. I mean, what's really important here is that, you know if you're looking at the policy on this. There's a partisan split. Affordable Care Act, 37% favorably viewed in Texas, 47% unfavorably. That's actually an improvement over their last poll. And in which direction? 
uh, they liked the Affordable Care Act more, more. than they did, yeah. up by about five points. So those are you sort know, of the top lines. Texas got a Texas. That's the result of the. I mean, that's right. the. Uh, it, it, we sound like ourselves. It was a thousand people, plus or minus three point one percent done. Kind of the horse race numbers are going to be interesting because it straddled the second Republican debate. Um, were the issue the issues broken down by Republicans and Democrats? Uh, they were, but we haven't seen all the cross tabs. Okay. They're going to release their cross tabs mostly tomorrow. And they're going to do a horse race, which I assume includes presidential. One would assume. One would assume. We can yeah. talk about that on next week's Tribcast. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, let's talk about Evan's favorite topic, and that is uh, he Wilco? just perked up. <laughs> yeah. Kyristol. Kyristol. Uh, that's what the shift in leadership in Washington uh, and Speaker John Boehner's decision to step down means for top congressional Texans. Um, we have Majority Whip Kevin McCarthy, the presumptive uh, favorite to replace Boehner, and Representative Pete Sessions from Dallas saying he'll enter the already crowded field for uh, Majority Whip. How does this all play out? What does this mean for for Pete Sessions and for Texas's sort of uh, you know congressional weight? You know, Texas is finally. It's taken a long time after um, a bunch of Texans were knocked out by redistricting. So they knocked out all these Texas Democrats, and Texas Republicans have finally risen to the point in Congress where they're actually running things, and our committee chairs are in and are in position to run for leadership stuff. Whether or not they win, Plain we have six. Seniority? We have six yeah. committee chairs. We yeah, have so, six. Yeah. We have six committee yeah. chairs so, in so, the U.S. You know, Texas is you know again an outsized player, which it you know had been through the '70s and '80s and '90s, and then wasn't for a little bit. And you know, part of this is just a reflection of that. You know, um, Jeb Henserling used to be, you know, nothing more really than an aide to Phil Graham, and now he was you know considered a potential candidate for. One of these top leadership positions. Yeah, Pete I think Sessions he said last running. week he wasn't ruling out a run, and then you know, then <coughs> but, this he, week but he, he subsequently, subsequently said, he's not said he thought about it over the weekend, and you know right. that he thought about it, or that he even brought his, his name came up, and nobody giggled. You know, that's that's a sign that you know, mm-hmm. okay, we have to take this seriously. Uh, Pete Sessions is now in that same position. You know, if you look at the other house for a second, you know, John Cornyn's the number two guy in the U.S. Senate. Um, so Texas is, you know, the overall view here is Texas is a player. Yeah, I mean, right. even just not the individuals, but just the the size of the Texas congressional delegation, it'll be heavily courted by whomever, you know, is the leadership right. candidate. Right. And if they're candidates. all behind Sessions, I mean, that's that's, you know, 25 votes right there. Well, uh, but I have a question about this. So didn't Sessions get challenged last time by Katrina Pearson? Yeah. Tea Party icon Katrina Pearson. Mm-hmm. So my question is the Tea Party members of the Texas delegation which are a certain number, mm-hmm. are they going to just automatically be with Sessions, who has somehow in the crazy politics of 2015 been rebranded as a liberal? Mm-hmm. Or are they going to ultimately say, no, we think that there's a better option for us out there, not from Texas? Uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know where the, the Tea Party conservatives really go right now in terms of the leadership race. I, I mean, mean, I know there was some yeah. buzz around Trey Gowdy, but he seemed to remove himself from consideration. It seems to me if you're part of the de- Texas delegation and you have a, the chance for the majority whip to be from the Texas delegation, you want to stick with the Texas delegation. In the delegation. same way that if you're in the Texas legislature and you have the opportunity for the president to be from Texas, you want to stick with the president. Oh, Wait, hold on. I think it depends on your yeah. politics. I think I could see, I, you know, Evan raises a point. I think, mm-hmm. you know, you could say it's less important that it's a Texan than that it's somebody from my somebody with conviction. Part of the party. I, you know, I, right. you know, if this election, if, if Sessions versus somebody else, whoever the somebody else is, turns into this kind of Republican versus that kind of Republican, you know, put some of the Texans in, a, in an interesting box. And, and here is potentially why it's more important that the number two position or the number, I guess, whip is number three. Right. Right. 
the the Tea Party guys are looking at Kevin McCarthy, and they're not exactly elated by this. McCarthy has attempted this week to say, well, I'm going to be harder on the White House, and I'm going to be harder on the Democrats, and I'm going to be advocating for concern. Well, that's what Boehner said. Yeah. And they weren't particularly happy with how Boehner turned out. Right. So McCarthy is, is whatever else McCarthy may ultimately be as speaker, assuming he wins, he's not going to be Speaker Ted Cruz yeah, of course. or Speaker Louis Gohmert. So they're going to be looking to backfill leadership with people who are much more conservative than they perceive McCarthy to be, which in turn probably suggests that they're going to be looking in the whip job and certainly the majority leader job for somebody who is more of their type. And I just don't know that Sessions cuts it with the Tea Party. I think the question, who are the other options at yeah, this just point? To, yeah, it's going to depend on the contrast. Mm-hmm. Um, right. Well, how does the dynamic in the speaker's race in D.C. compare to the dynamic in the speaker's race in Austin? I mean, Ross, you had a really good column on this this week. By percentage, Strauss oversees a more Republican chamber with more anti-establishment insurgents, in theory, than Boehner does, yet Boehner is the one out of a job. And the yeah. speaker's race last time was closer in the federal government right. than it was and here. It, it, I think it comes right. back, you know, in, in a large part to how you make your coalition when you start. Um, are you, you know, you start with your base, and in Boehner's case and in Strauss's case, to large measure, that's the establishment Republicans. So you start there, and that doesn't get you all the way to the speakership. So what do you do next? Do you go to the most conservative Republicans, as Boehner did, or do you go to the Democrats, as Strauss did? And partly because of the way and the time that he came into office, Strauss started with the Democrats. And so you have to throw some bones to the Democrats along the way. Uh, The Democrats would tell you the bones aren't great, but they're suffering less under Strauss than they might under somebody more conservative. The conservatives in the Texas House don't think that they have the voice that they ought to have, and that's why they're railing so strongly against the Speaker. In Washington, it's exactly the opposite. The the insurgent Republicans have a very strong voice to the point that they've debilitated their party's ability to get anything done, and the Democrats are just sitting in the corner chuckling at them. Mm-hmm. You know, the biggest, the third biggest party in the Texas House is the um, Tea Party Republicans. The the first biggest is the Republicans, the second biggest is the Democrats, and the third biggest is the Tea Party, and Strauss has gone one and two. Boehner went Do you think if I'm, if I'm Joe Strauss and I'm listening to this podcast and I hear you say that the way that Strauss won the speakership is with the help of the Democrats, that I agree with you? Yeah, because the way he got elected in 2009 was with 17 Republicans and all but about 12 Democrats. Yeah, um, but more recently, well, for but, instance, but this I'm, last time. But you start where you start, and he's stuck with the people who kept him there. You know, the Texas House has a long tradition that it still hasn't broken. Um, in fact, the Texas Senate hadn't broken it, uh, of you know rewarding the minority party with some chairmanships and some right. decent committee assignments. In yeah. Washington, that's basically all decided in whichever the Democratic or the Republican conference, whoever's in charge, and then they yeah. they vote amongst themselves and then come out as a united bloc. But as a technical matter, he lost 19 votes in the speaker's race to right. Scott Turner. So if you do 98 minus 19, he still won enough Republicans. He had a single Democratic right. vote. He won enough Republicans to have been elected by Republicans this time. Right. But if the Democrats had abandoned him, you know, the dynamic of that election would have been much different. If it was just among the Republican yeah, caucus. Now, that said, Strauss has been challenged three times. And when Ken Paxton challenged him, there was a sort oh, of. right, a, a man. Fa- there was a sort of a famous. How the times have changed. Showdown before the legislative session started where the Republican caucus went in over at the Reagan building and they were trying their version of the Hastert rule. If you lose in the Republican caucus, then you should really stop here. And Paxton thought that was kind of where he was going to defeat Joe Strauss. And Strauss won that caucus vote handily. 
so handily that Paxton pulled himself out of the race rather than put himself to a full public And then vote. the capstone on this part of the conversation is there's really not any peril to Strauss in a presumed speaker's race next time, right? It doesn't show. I mean, you, show. if you just look at the numbers, you say, you know, something miraculous has to happen. First, they have to elect something like 57 members who agree with them that Strauss should go. So they got a lot of elections to win in March. Yeah. Well, speaking of elections in March, uh, let's talk just briefly about the latest movement in legislative races. Um, we know that uh, House rabble rouser Jonathan Stickland said uh, he has an opponent, right? I think that's confirmed, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah it was announced yesterday, uh, Tuesday. Uh, Bedford pastor, um, drawn a blank. Board member of the Scott Texas Fisher. board member of the Texas Juvenile Justice Department, former member of the Texas Ethics Commission, appointed by David Dewhurst. Right. Running to the left or to the right? Well, he or would say the, he's or running. Or to the equal. <laughs> he would say he's a you know a conservative warrior. Um, I think effectively, you know, he's, he's nice, you nicely know, done. He's going to be running to the left, at least the way that Stickland would brand it. <laughs> right. Um, so. uh, and uh, what what else do we have? We have State Rep uh, Susan King formally uh, announing that she's thrown in the for eight millionth candidate for Senate District Twenty Four. Maybe, maybe she's puts, eight. Yeah. She, she the, may like be the eighth yeah. doctor. Yeah. Right. This puts the good running. old Texas Medical Association in the middle of a really big fight. There's two doctors in this race. King's husband. King is a is a nurse, and her husband is, I believe, the past immediate past president of, of the, the Texas TMA. Medical Association. Right. So ordinarily, in a race where there's nobody else but one doctor, they endorse the doctor. Yeah. And now they're kind of pulled in three directions. Well, Don Buckingham, the op- op- them, op- them, or op- 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 or opta, she's an opta. She's a doctor. So the opta. Uh, has been accused by some grassroots guys of being too liberal, but has the endorsements of Governor Perry and of Charles Schwartner, and is, you know, is kind of, she seems to be, among the people running, she seems to be one of those with some mo. Right? I think so far the th- three candidates to watch are Buckingham, Brent Mays, and uh, Susan King. Brent Mays is the is the other doctor, tra- sort of tradi- but but also a traditional grassroots conservative yeah. of the Luke Macias is my consultant variety. Right. Right. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And Buckingham. Yeah, like you said, Buckingham got in. I think she got in. You know, officially the day after Troy Frazier's. Well, she was talking. Uh, you know, she had. You know, that were, there were rumblings well before Troy Frazier got out of this race that she was going to run anyway. Yeah, 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 yeah. So she was ready to go. Right. And so whenever he, you know, he flipped the switch. But she you've got, got Reed Williams from San Antonio, and you've got. Um, I mean, he, I, he loves that you say from San Antonio. But. Well, but it's but it's a, <laughs> is he not from? But well, he was a was he former not a, a former council member in San Antonio? And, and on the yeah, Saws yeah, board yeah. and and abandoned yeah. those and is claiming for purposes of this race a residence at his winery in which Cur- is in the district Kerrville no, maybe or yeah yeah. yeah. Um, but look, it's a lot of people in this race. This is the thing and about SD this race. twenty four important. It's right. a lot of people in this race, mm-hmm. right? Um, and she but here the thing about Susan King is too Susan King. Um, comes to the table as a a longtime member of the legislature who is not necessarily embraced by the grassroots, right? Right. And the geography of this race is really it's weird. It's going to be a from, really interesting It goes from Abilene all the way south to Kerrville and all the way east to Bell County. The, the population base is Bell County. It's not as big a part of the election base. Um, it depends largely on whether you can get the people at Fort Hood to vote or not. Mm-hmm. Um, but Bell County doesn't have a clear candidate who has a proven voting base in Bell County. Ryan Downton, you know, is living in Bell County now and is from there. But, you know, it's not like this is somebody who's run for office out there and is well known. So but he's run previously for office in Austin uh, against Paul Workman for a Texas House seat. So interesting. All right. 
Well, if you have questions or comments, you can email them to tribcast at texastribune.org. We'd also love to invite you to the fifth annual Texas Tribune Festival, October 16th through 18th on the UT Austin campus, uh, where you can hear the Tribcast live on Friday night. Ross and I will be there. Please join us. Uh, We'd like to thank Shiny Ribs for doing our music. And on behalf of Evan, Ross, Patrick, and our producer, Todd, this is Emily. Thanks for listening. Texas Talking. I have a sneaking suspicion that this is not entirely in the tinfoil that is embedded in her brain.